JFC, glad that you are here. Uh, coming into t- uh, the service this weekend, um, I, at all of our campuses, I don't know if you'll be able to see it now that I'll point it out. Maybe the cameras can catch it right here. But um, my daughter did the design for this, and then it's her picture that's up here <laughs> behind me. Uh, her, her and her fiancé are on the, on the thing right here. What, that's, a, um, that's a really good picture right there. That's like, I'm like, wow, you, you designed the thing and got yourself up there all in one. <laughs> That's what I get for teasing you, isn't it? Right there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses, not just here at Lone Tree, but obviously uh, Lakewood, Highlands Ranch, uh, Castle Rock. Glad that you all are here today. If you would, grab the notes. You can follow along with me. We're in a series called Always and Forever, and it's a marriage series. And here's, here's what's different about this series. Instead of, um, uh, t- uh, well, let me go back this way. So uh, the church is in existence for 14 years. I was trying to think how many times have we taught on marriage. I, I know we do it probably uh, right at average once a year. So let's say that we have taught on marriage 14 times. I know we've done a number of marriage retreats. Probably all of you have been exposed to some type of marriage teaching, not just here, but multiple places. I thought, what makes this series then different? And here's what it is. We're teaching on the seasons of marriage, but not seasons like you would think uh, uh, a marriage in winter or a marriage in spring, like a new marriage or whatever. We're teaching on certain stages that all marriages, regardless of your background, are going to go through from time to time. And so uh, in this series, what we're looking at are things that we think probably aren't always taught. And I've got one tonight that I know, I'm going to venture out here. Maybe there's somebody here who can say, okay, I have heard about that. But I'm going to say that I don't think most of you have ever heard a message on this. And and let me just, I'll cut to the chase. Uh, In 26 years, full-time ministry, I have amassed a fairly decent-sized library of material. I have put together books and articles and newspaper clippings and other messages that I have heard and that I have studied. 26 years, I've put together a decent library. I am going to teach about the season of friendship in marriage. Listen to this. I could not find one book, one article, or one message in my library that ever talked about friendship in marriage. Can you imagine that? It talked about everything else but not friendship and marriage. And I, let me say this, would, would you agree with me that marriage is not supposed to be just enduring, but also endearing? The, the goal is not just longevity. And, and I, I put in the notes sort of as a, as a way to go. Years and years ago, when the church was, was much younger than it is right now, I, I did a survey and I asked the folks in our church, I said, if you have been married, uh, 20 years was where I started. And I had, I had quite a few that had been married that long, and I went one more step. Anybody that's been married 25 years, would you help participate? I think I ended up with 15, 16, 17 couples, something like that. And I put together just a, a bunch of questions. I gave it to them. I, I asked them to keep it anonymous so that no one was revealing anything that they thought would be too personal. And I said, all I want you to do, answer these questions honestly. Give it back to me. Give me permission to read what you wrote, but don't put your name on it, and that way it's all anonymous completely. And what I did going through those questions was just try to put together my own set of, 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 of 
answers to things that I thought were important in marriage. And uh, the primary question that I was looking at, everyone that had been married 25 years or longer, how did you do it? I was looking to see, would anybody have some type of a secret that would be really interesting to share? Here's what I found. In every case, in every case, everyone who had been married 25 years or longer, how did you do it? Here was, here was the big secret. We chose to stay married. We chose to stay married. Okay, digging a little deeper then on that, what I had written was, what did you do? If you were successful, what did you do that worked? All across the board, everyone had almost the same answer too. They had developed an endearing, deep friendship inside of the marriage. So the thought and the point here, and what I'm going to teach tonight, you're not just going for length, but you're going for depth. Do you agree with that? You're not just trying to stay married for a long time, but you actually want to be married and like the person you're married to. So always and forever, tonight's title is going to be The Seasons of Friendship. And Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, depending on how your translation of the Bible lists it, in Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 16, a really interesting scripture. Solomon um, is married to a woman that he is uh, deeply in love with. And Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, really, how many of you have ever read that book right there? Let me just ask the question. How many of you have read it and thought, why is this in the Bible? So be honest with me. It's basically, it, it's, a, it's a very intimate love letter using uh, old poetic language to, to describe this love affair going on between these two people, Solomon and, and his wife. Uh, if you ever actually, if you have a modern translation of the Bible, and you go back and you read Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, depending on how it's, how it's interpreted there, uh, it actually is almost to the point where it's R-rated. I'm not kidding about that. And some of you are like, I'm going to go home and read that for the first time tonight. <laughs> I, I'll, you're going to, all of a sudden, I'll have scholars in here. Watch what happens. It's actually exceptionally intimate, the things that they wrote. And uh, in particular, they, they, t they, talk about, um, they talk about sex. And, and they're, they're, they're pretty graphic in their, their details of the, the sex between the two of them. Uh, simply the point here is that in this, I found this scripture that I thought was really interesting. It's written in Song of Songs 516. This is my beloved and this is my, what does it say there? I thought probably if I could find any scripture, or maybe I don't think I could find any scripture that would more describe what I would like to teach today than this right here. In marriage, obviously, this is my beloved. This is my love. This is the one that I've given myself to. But this one is also my friend. In the NIV, it reads this way. This is my lover, and this is my friend. In the message, it reads, this is my love, that's my man. I like that one too. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. One of the first descriptions of friendship that we find in the Bible is that God says this about the creation of man. It's not good for a man to be what? Would you agree with me what God is saying is it is good for a man to have a friend? I think you need to begin to take the word friend and wherever in the Bible it begins to talk about love between a husband and a wife, you could insert the word friend. Husbands, be friends with your wife. 
why did that not get one person in here who would go, okay, husband, be friends with your wives. <laughs> it's not good for a man to be alone. It's what God said. How about this? The first human friendship that we find in the world is that between the husband and the wife. The first human friendship that we find in the world is the husband and the wife. I put in your notes this thought right here. It's just simply an observation that I have noticed over the years. I wrote down three kinds of marriages that I would just quickly go through tonight and then talk to you a little bit about what marriage is supposed to look like. Three kinds of marriages. The first one is the back-to-back -back marriage. Back-to-back. -back. I put down this thought right here. These are people who are married but live very separate lives. Do you know anyone like that? I put in the notes, it's more of a DBA, doing business as. So if I were to insert my name, it's people who are married, and if it were Chris and I, and all we were was married, committed to each other in marriage, but there was no friendship. In reality, what we would have is two people who were doing business as the leeches, but we're not really in love with each other. It's a marriage for sure. It's a marriage that's legal. It's a marriage that's binding, but it's not a marriage where the two people are friends with each other. They work back to back. I wrote down this thought. The emotional, spiritual, and physical input is, in a word, minimal. It's there. It's not that it's invisible. It's not that it doesn't exist, but it's very minimal when you find it. In a couple like this, divorce is likely. Why? Because there's nothing holding them together other than a piece of paper. Now, do I think that the piece of paper is important? Absolutely. I think it's necessary. In fact, I, I don't know how to say it any clearer over the years than to say it this way. If you're living together, that's not God's best for you. Get married. Get married. If you're praying for God's blessing, you have to do it God's way in order to be blessed. So people who say, well, God, I got married in front of God. If you really got married in front of God, show me the paper. Okay, there. They're married, but it's back-to-back. -back. The emotional, spiritual, and physical input is minimal. Here, then, is the second one, shoulder-to-shoulder. Shoulder-to-shoulder. -shoulder. Most men, when they form friendships, generally begin to form them shoulder-to-shoulder. -shoulder. I would define this marriage this way. They're working together for the common good. What's the common good? Raising children. That's the common good. Financial benefit, common good. It's better than being alone, common good. The emotional, spiritual, and physical input is not minimal, but it's mechanical. There's nothing about it that speaks of spontaneity. There's nothing about it that speaks of intimacy. There's nothing about it that speaks of passion. It's there, but it's mechanical. We do it because we're supposed to do it. When I leave the house, I give her a kiss goodbye. Sound familiar? Divorce in this marriage is a possibility when the common goals are finally achieved. For instance, the empty nest happens. You work for the common good, which was raising your children. But after your children are raised, you have already conquered the common vision. So now nothing holds the marriage together. Once you achieve a certain financial level in your life, 
Nothing holds the marriage together now because you've achieved the goals. It's okay to get a divorce because we're going to be okay financially. Does that make sense? I've had people tell me that that's their reason at times for why they do what they do in their marriage, finances. What a terrible idea for finances to control your life like that. The common goal, once it's achieved in the shoulder-to-shoulder marriage, while you're working together for the common good, once the common goal is achieved, nothing holds the marriage together. So therefore, divorce becomes a possibility as the years go by. I'll give you the last one, face-to-face. Back-to-back, shoulder-to-shoulder, face-to-face. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Interesting scripture. The Bible says that Adam knew Eve. Adam knew Eve. The word know there is the word yada in Hebrew. Any Seinfeld friends in here? Be honest with me. Some of you are acting like I've never even heard of it. Be honest. Seinfeld. Yes. You, Gordon. You've never heard of it? Genesis 4.1, Adam knew his wife Eve. The word in the Hebrew is Yadah. In our society, it's used as a slang term. Seinfeld had an episode one time where Elaine said that she had a one-night stand. Jerry asked her questions about it, and it went this way. One thing led to another, and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Do you remember? Do you remember? Yada, yada, yada. What were they talking? Yada, yada, yada. It's actually the Hebrew word, yada. And in our culture, it's used as a slang for physical intimacy. In the Bible, it means face-to-face. But the idea there is that a couple who is face-to-face is physically intimate with each other. When it says that Adam knew Eve, the word know there is yada. Adam was face-to-face with his wife. He became intimate with her. This becomes important because the progression in a marriage that really makes it, that really achieves what it's supposed to achieve, it's not back-to-back, shoulder-to-shoulder. It goes face-to-face. If I were to describe the marriage as face-to-face, I would say this. It includes the benefit of shoulder-to-shoulder, but this couple is also intimate friends. They are working together towards a common good or goal, but they're intimate friends with each other so that after the goal is achieved, everything still stays together because they like each other. You can hit the goal in 15, 20, 25 years, but instead of, okay, now there's nothing left. I don't know you anymore. You've changed. How about this? I have had men and women come and say, Pastor, I don't know what it is about my spouse, but they changed me. No, they revealed you. Write it down. Your spouse didn't change you. Your spouse revealed you. So that a person who says, wow, this person, when they get married, I love them so much, but when they get divorced, they make me so miserable. What happened? Well, how about this? Is it possible for that to happen? Sure, it's possible. But what a cop-out. What a cheap way. Well, what, 
what a least resistance to how to do life. Face-to-face includes the benefits of shoulder-to-shoulder, but the couple are intimate friends. The emotional, spiritual, and physical input is miraculous. Not minimal, not mechanical, but miraculous. And here's what I mean by that. When you do it God's way, God gets involved so that the miraculous becomes possible. What's impossible with man is possible with God. So that I don't stand up here to teach, if you want a good marriage, go home and practice these things. Here's what I teach. You want a good marriage? Go home and fall passionately in love with Christ and watch what happens in your marriage. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as you do to the Lord. The prerequisite for how to be married is the picture of how we relate to God. When you want to have a good marriage, you don't go home and practice the particulars. Love him and watch what happens in relationships around you. Jesus said, you can't love God if you don't love people. I would submit to you, if you love God, you can love your spouse. Well, that got a big one, right? <laughs> Ooh, I must really be waxing eloquent, sir. I, this is working well. Uh, how, right, we'll go this way. Jesus said you have to love your enemies. I'm going to get you either way we go. (laughs) Your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is actually a protection from the enemy. If we actually learn to fight the correct enemy, how much better would our lives be? (laughs) Face to face, emotional, spiritual, and physical input is miraculous. In other words, it's blessed. Divorce in this couple is rare. Say it with me. Rare. W. Bradford Wilcox, one of the most highly regarded sociologists in our country. If you do not believe this, go home. Google his name. Check it out for yourself. I heard someone recently make a slanderous statement. Here was the statement. The divorce rate inside the church is the same as outside of the church. Why is it someone can just stand up and say something without any proof of what's being said and it's taken as gospel? The man that I just listed is one of the more prominent sociologists in our country today. He did a incredibly detailed study on Christian marriages. Not people who said, I'm a Christian, because 90% of our country says they're Christians. But the evidence to support that is not there. Agreed? But people who are actually born again, people who are in a personal relationship with Christ, who confess to knowing Him intimately. He did a study on marriages that confess to be Christian, meaning they're born again. The divorce rate, listen to this, was less than 20% in those marriages. There is a fundamental difference in a marriage that is engaged with God and then lives it out this way with each other. Is it possible for someone who loves God to get a divorce? Sure it is. Anybody in here ever sin? 
Okay, Gordon. Yeah, now get in on this one. Because if you don't get in on this one, it's good. we're going to have trouble up in here. Of, of here's, here's, look, the thought goes this way. Have you ever, as a believer, have you ever had a habit inconsistent with your beliefs? Just so be honest about it. I mean, we, we have, it's, we're not proud of that. We don't glorify in that. We don't want that. We don't, we don't admit to that like, yeah, I, I, so no big deal. No, we hate that. The difference between born, being born again and not being born again is the fact that we recognize those things are not the way it's broken and we need a Savior. But the marriage that is engaged, the people who are engaged with God this way, stand a much better chance of loving each other this way. If for no other reason, then there's just simply the understanding of what love is. So let me hit this for a second. This isn't in your notes, but it, you may find this interesting. If you have a pen, write this down. One of the understandings that every married couple in this room should come to. When I say married, you don't have to be married right now, but if you want to be married, if you know somebody who is married, they'll just get everybody. Understanding the difference between contractual and covenantal love is absolutely imperative to being successful. Contractual love is how most men, especially if you are a professional, anyone in this room that would fall into the category of being a, a professional in your line of work, any man who falls into that category tends to confuse contractual love with covenantal, most men understand contractual love because they think in terms of black and white. They think in terms of one plus one is two. Uh, contractual love is simply this. When you sign a contract, if you've ever bought a house or you've bought a car or you've entered into any kind of a business deal, a contract is simply uh, you get it and it says if you do this, then I do this. And if you don't do this, then here's what happens with this. Do you understand? So that a man who is very logical when he enters into his marriage, he tends to think contractually. Woman, if you do this, I'll do this. And if you do this, I'll do this. And if you don't do this, then I'll do this. Yes or no? So the problem, though, is that we're never called into a contractual relationship. And when any person in this room tries to have your marriage based on a contract, my goodness, you've entered into failure before you said, I do. We're called into covenant love. Oh, what's the difference? Like everything. <laughs> to begin with, covenant love never says, I love you if, I love you when. Covenant love says, I love you regardless. Holy stinking smokes. <laughs> I love you unconditionally. Uh, if you fail, I still love you. If you're unfaithful, I still love you. If you forget about me, I'll never forget about you. Oh, blah. This like changes everything. Because a man that thinks so critically when he enters into marriage, A, B, C, we'll get to D, get married. E is H is three is nine is a cow at the zoo because it's yellow. Who knows? 
doesn't work that way. <laughs> what, what a, I don't know if you get what I just said, but what a, what a critical. <laughs> Contractual love versus covenantal love. <laughs> it's okay in business to think that way but it's death in marriage. My poor little pumpkin granddaughter's coffin. Jesus heal Laney. Hey. I can do that. I'm part of a grandfather club. I'm allowed to do that. Here's a thought when it comes to what I'm trying to teach. Friendship is costly in everything. Do you agree with that? If you sit here and think to yourself, I, I, I would disagree with that. The friend, it doesn't cost me anything to have a friend. I bet you're not a good friend. You hear what I said? Friendship is costly in time. Friendship is costly in energy. Friendship is costly in emotions. Friendship is costly in finances. Anybody agree with me? Okay, if what I said is true, here's the point. Real friendship takes so much time. Note the word, real friendship. Real friendship takes so much time and investment that, if done right, it means that you can only have a few friends. Okay, if that's true, logical, critical thinker, follow me. If that's true, then you can really only have one best friend. And I submit to you, it should be your spouse. Maybe you're sitting here and you hear that and you say to yourself, friendship sounds like hard work. Why do it? What would be the point? Why get into something like that? You know, really, our society teaches more the hookup than it does intimacy. It teaches more the breakup than it does any type of commitment. What our society really teaches is love at the lowest level. Just like water seeks its own level, what the world really teaches is relationship that's at the easiest possible level of involvement. The hookup, the breakup, and then do it all over again. And God teaches more along the lines of one for life. Total investment. Boy's quiet. So if it sounds like hard work, why do it? How about this? Because if you do it, nothing in the world is like it. What you derive from doing it right is joy in a manner that you can't get from any other relationship on the face of the earth. 
So if you say, well, I'm married and I disagree, then what I'm saying is you're not doing it right. Holy people over here. (laughs) One of the derivatives or attributes of who God is is joy. Do you agree with that? So if God is joy, and if marriage is supposed to represent the relationship between us and him, he uses marriage as the mirror to show what the relationship between us and him is supposed to look like. That's Ephesians 5. If one of the attributes of God is joy, then our marriages, if they're supposed to mirror the relationship with God, our marriages should be full of joy. And I would say to you, that's what the friendship in marriage is all about. The reason you become really intimate friends with your spouse is because it's joy. My best friend in life sits right here tonight. She is my best friend in everything. I find such joy in my relationship with my wife. And here's the good thing. We're coming up on 30 years. It's not fake. It's not baloney. Even my staff said, what makes your teaching on marriage maybe different than anybody else that we hear is because you really mean it and we know it. I live my life to be a blessing to my wife. She's my best friend. The greatest joy I have in my life is the relationship with my wife. That's why it's okay for my kids to leave. (laughs) There's a powerful prophetic word for someone sitting in here full of fear on that day. What will happen in my marriage? Here's what's supposed to happen. Who, we're gonna miss you? Our heart is breaking. Oh, it's breaking, breaking, breaking. And then as they drive away, you wipe a tear. But it's really joy. (laughs) And you say to yourself, 27 years, there are things that we have not been able to do that we are going to begin doing. The reason to do it, joy in multiple ways. There's such joy in the fulfillment of the relationship. There's such joy in the life in the relationship. There's such joy that you're not lonely. There's such joy that you have purpose. How about this? Jesus said, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything at all, ask and it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Do you think that God wants us to derive joy from the discipline of praying or joy from answered prayer? Answered prayer? So here the Bible teaches the power of two, where two of you are gathered in my name concerning anything. Ask, and it will be done for you. While I understand it's not written to married couples, I would submit to you a married couple who knows how to pray is really powerful. What are we missing in prayer? Because we don't know how to pray with our spouse. What's missing in our life that God is ready 
to stamp yes. But we don't have that relationship with our spouse right. Hmm. I love teaching on this. How about this? Want a good marriage? Work on the friendship. Want to fix your marriage? Work on the friendship. Where do I begin tonight? Yes, you're so smart. Yes. Pastor, you give us so much. Somebody said one time when we listen to you preach, it's like someone takes a shovel and just begins to go and go and go. Yes. I don't, I don't go study for five minutes. This, this is my life that ends up on display for you. My passion is in everything that I'm doing right now. This is not a message. This is truth. This is not a lesson. This is life. Here's, I give you so much. So what do we, how do we juggle it? How do we put, what do we do? What would I tell a couple about to be married? Be best friends. What would I tell a middle-aged couple? Work on your friendship. What would I tell an old couple? Notice my eyes are closed. I would say, <laughs> go back to your friendship. Be best friends with each other. How about this? And I'll just close here. Intimate friendship doubles the joy and cuts the work. Write it down. Intimate friendship, get it, intimate friendship doubles the joy, cuts the work. Two are better than one because they get a better reward for their labor. Doubles the joy, cuts the work. The season of friendship. When I wrote the message initially, how many of you remember two weeks ago, I prophesied, this is a new season coming to your relationship. Do you remember? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to do this in your marriage? Do you believe it's possible for you? Do you believe that? If you believe, all things are possible. All things are possible. Boy, how would I then pray for my people? I would pray... Listen to the call of the wild. I would pray. <laughs> Feel it? <laughs> Some, all you heard was a motorcycle, and others heard the Holy Spirit just now. It was <laughs> I would just pray. That at the, at the most simple level, you would just open your heart tonight and just go, okay, God, if it really is that simple, if you really want me just to come to you and you want to introduce a new season in my life, I'm here. I open my heart to you. I open my marriage to you. I open my relationship. So if you're here tonight, there's no condemnation. If you sit tonight and your marriage did not work out, there's no condemnation. If you desire to be married again, then I would say to you, man, get this right now so that you never have failure again. 
And I would say to you, if you aspire at some point in your life to be married, learn, open, open up now. Go to the author of marriage. Ask him, what is it supposed to look like? Read scripture and take, okay, I want that in my life. When we tell God, yes, the possibilities, endless. Endless. I am such a firm believer in what I'm saying that I, I truly believe the Holy Spirit could touch you tonight and change everything before you walk out of here. I know, what an idiot, right? But I believe that. I totally believe that. Because I know what God did for us. I know how he saved my marriage. I know how he took a person who I thought was my enemy and turned her into my best friend. I know what I'm saying tonight is real. And I know that God wants to do it for you. Father, God, I lift up every couple within the jurisdiction of my voice. That means not every person who sits at Lone Tree and hears this message, but this means every person at Highlands Ranch right now and every person at Castle Rock and every person in Lakewood, every one of you who are listening via your iPod right now or you're listening in your car, wherever you hear this message, I call you underneath the authority of the Word of God right now. I call you underneath the truth of this message. I call you underneath the power of the Holy Spirit. I call you right now unto the order of God. I speak, listen to this, I speak to dried up bones that you'll live. I speak to areas where it's desolate. I speak tonight to where the enemy has had a field day. I speak tonight to areas where it is just dead. I speak the life of God over you. Ezekiel was challenged, prophesy to these bones. Speak life over them. The Bible says when Ezekiel just simply believed God, all he did was say, breathe. And there was a rattling. And the rattling came together. Those bones came together. And God put the sinew and the skin and the muscle all back together. And he caused what was dead to live. And I say to you tonight, even what's dead in your life can live. Even what's dead can live. I speak tonight to those who are prospering, who are doing well, who would consider everything I just taught to be so true because you're living it in your marriage. Here's what I speak to you. I speak the life of God to take you to a new level tonight. That you not walk out of here self-satisfied, but walk out of here tonight full of the Holy Spirit. Walk out of here tonight with a new vision for what God wants to do in you, with a new love in your heart for your spouse, with a new desire for a relationship. I pray the blessing of God over you. 
pray the blessing of God over you. For the last two weeks, as we've entered into our time of engagement in our service, communion and prayer and worship, the crosses, what a fabulous job Pastor Terry did last week incorporating the crosses in the message. I invite every married couple tonight, engage with him together. Whether it be communion, worship, prayer, go to the cross, whatever it is tonight, I challenge you as a married couple, do it together. Sir, when we stand to our feet in just a moment, I'm going to challenge you, grab the hand of your wife. If you say, well, I want her to go first, you're the man. You need to lead. She needs to reciprocate, but you need to lead. Grab her hand. Take them to communion. Pray. Invite the Holy Spirit to do what He can do in your life. Don't leave this place with it on automatic pilot. Don't leave here ho-hum. Grab hold of God tonight. Say, Father, I want that in my life. I want that in my marriage. Dive in. Jump in. Don't sit to the side. Allow the Holy Spirit to do exactly what I'm saying. Give God something. Open your heart to Him. Father, we do, we surrender to You. And we invite You right now. Breathe on every marriage in this room. From the greatest to the least. Breathe on every marriage. Draw us together in You. I thank you for hearing our prayers tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and stand to your feet, if you will. Worship pastors, take us into worship right now. Allow this to really be a time where you engage. And if you're married, as a married couple, do this together.